From News Talk 580-1059 KMJ, this is the Maddie Report, Valley Views Edition. Now here's your host, Mark Kepler. California is a very diverse state. Just how diverse is the subject of today's program? First, we'll look at the migration into and out of California. Who's arriving and who's leaving? Next, we'll revisit an earlier discussion on one of the tools that gives us a definitive answer of who calls California home, the 2020 census, and what an inaccurate count would mean for the state and the valley. BNSF Railway, moving our economy for 160 years. BNSF, the engine that connects us. Additional funding for the Maddie Report made possible by a grant from The Wonderful Company, harvesting health and happiness around the world. As well as the Bonner Family Foundation, Community Medical Centers, Dewey Square Group, Comcast Financial Agency, Nossiman LLP, Sagasser Watkins and Wheeland, and Valley Children's Hospital. From the California Channel at the State Capitol and the Maddie Institute, it's the Maddie Report with Executive Director of the Maddie Institute, Mark Kepler. Welcome. Our guest has stated that her motto is, quote, accounting for California one tax dollar at a time. She is Judy Lynn, a reporter with Cal Matters and covers uh, state finances, the workforce, and economic issues for that uh, organization. She brings a decade of government reporting experience uh, to the table with Associated Press, Sacramento Bee, and the Detroit News. Welcome back to the Matter Report. Thank you for having me. So you've commented that, quote, California, it has been written, is America only more so, unquote. How much more so? We are very much reflective of California, of America mm -hmm. and where America is heading in terms of um, our makeup, um, the, the immigrants coming in, the birth rate, the people leaving. All of this is really a microcosm of America. And, and the aging of the population. I mean, all the demographics that you see happening in California are going to be happening in the rest of the nation. We're just kind of on, on the cutting edge, it sounds like, of those yes. things. Also very racially mixed. Yes. in California. You're seeing more of that, uh, two-race uh, families kind of thing. Um, so how many Californians are there? How many of us exist out there? Officially, we're at 39.9 million, mm -hmm. but at any moment in the next coming I'm going to round it up. We're 40 million. We're 40 million, and that's, that's one in eight Americans. That wow. is a staggering figure. You think about that. By the way, two senators, um, we're not going to get into that, but look at your report, just to put it in, in context. That's the same size as the 21 of the smallest states plus the District of Columbia. 21 states yes, yes. plus the District of Columbia, and that's California. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. And just, you know, people point to Texas as being another large state, but Texas has 10 million fewer people than California. They've got 29 uh, or so uh, million people. So California really is that big. We are, we are. Even if Texas continued to grow at its current rate, mm -hmm. it would take almost 20 years for them to catch up to us. And that's assuming California doesn't grow at all. And of course, exactly. we're going to grow, so they're never going to catch us. We've already established <laughs> um, So how big is California's economy? We are a $2.9 trillion wow. economy. With a T. Yes. That, yes. That's a big economy. We are bigger than the United Kingdom. We're the fifth. As a, as a state alone, we're the size of a nation in yeah. terms of our economy. And so the, the an economic behemoth. I mean, this is a big. I mean, because you think about the tech sector, entertainment. Don't forget the agricultural sector, very important for the nation and the world. Mm -hmm. um, it's unbelievable. Yeah. We supply half of America's fruits, vegetables, and nuts. It's um, 
the amount of crops that come out of the Central Valley. It's it's very. It's amazing when you do drive through the Central Valley, seeing rows and rows and rows of, of orchards. It's, it's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's also the housing crisis uh, in California. That's led to some poverty issues, and, and a lot of people don't realize that California has a pretty big poverty issue, um, and then a widening wealth gap. So that's another issue tied into the economy. Um, so where do we where do we come from? I mean, a century ago, people come in what from the Midwest, I suppose. Um, where are they coming from now? Yeah. Um, so in a century ago, we were talking about people from Illinois, Missouri, Ohio. You know, you could see that 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 changing. Um, that migration of, of the Midwest into the a West. A lot of people, you know, Oklahoma, mm -hmm. uh, it came here uh, during the Depression. And today, it's it's a much different makeup. It's Mexico, China, Taiwan, the Philippines. Um, you know, we now have about 11 million people are from other countries. They're here so in California. 11 out of 40 million-ish, a quarter of us are from somewhere else. Yes. Yes. Wow, that that that's huge, uh, and much different than than what was happening in migration patterns in the 20s. Let's say 1920s. Absolutely. It, now that I mean, I think it's about fourfold that 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 the, that um, we've quadrupled the our, migration. our migration compared to 1920. So a really big change. Yes. And, and I was reading a report. They're saying that 56 percent of Californians were born. Uh, were born in the states. That means 44% were not born in the state. A, a lot of people like me um, who, who moved to California because it's the golden state, yes. um, and a huge proportion, I think reading your statistics, of foreign-born residents, 28%, and nearly double of that uh, transplants from other states, um, which is nearly double the number of transplants from other states, 16%. So we're getting a lot of foreign-born residents that are moving in, not as many from other states as that's been in the, in the past. Exactly. Okay, so who is a California? We're going to have that conversation in a moment. This is the Maddie Report. Welcome back. We're talking with Judy Lynn, a reporter with Cal Matters, who recently wrote an extensive report entitled California Migration, the Story of 40 Million. So, uh, is California gaining or losing people? It's a very, it depends on how you look at it, yes. We, we are losing residents in two ways. As um, people leave the state, uh, you know, natural migration for jobs and other factors, housing costs, things of that sort. And the, the population is aging. We do have um, baby boomers who are in retirement and, and, and they, are, they are part of this swell that's going to be um, moving on. And um, on the other hand, some of that loss is being offset by foreign-born Im uh, foreign immigrants coming in, mm -hmm. and uh, just the natural new, birth rate. New births. New births. Yeah. yeah. And I think in, in your report it says California added 186,807 to be precise um, residents in 2018. Um, so you've got more, but you do have you do note that there are more Californians leaving for other states, uh, and that's been going on for a while. But la and last year's growth rate was it's still growing. We're growing at 0.47%, so about a half a percent. So we're growing, but not, not quite as quickly as we have in the past. Yeah. Um, so if not coming to or staying in California, where are they going? Yeah. Largely, they're going to uh, surrounding neighboring states. And I, as a native California, I hate to say it, they're going to Texas. <laughs> There's a lot of people moving to Texas. And, right. you know, for, for it, different appeals, um, cost of living probably being a big factor. And so I, I think a lot of people in, in Oregon or Washington, too, when they see Californians, because we're used to very high home prices, and, you know, the prices in those areas don't really affect us. We're not affected by it. And they can tell you, right, I've, I've been in those areas, and they say, oh, you must be from California, because this price, home price doesn't shock you. Um, yes. So that's happening. Um, 
And you were saying in your report that um, greater than 7 million people born in California call other states home. So they're born in California, but 7 million now are living elsewhere. Yeah, it's a, it's a, within the state, people who grew up here, born here, they have, they are, they are seeking greener pastures um, mm -hmm. in Arizona, Nevada, Oregon, um, Washington. They're, they're heading off uh, to Texas because they, they, they're, they're, for various reasons. I mean, some of it could be family reasons. I mean, frankly, I had a neighbor who, who moved his, his family, his, his children were in Texas, so he moved and wanted to be close to his family. That's, that's I think, pretty, pretty common. Yeah. So who's coming to California? Yeah. Um, and, and why do you think they're coming here? So this was very interesting. The um, great folks at the Public Policy Institute of California found that it's college graduates are coming here at a higher rate than any other, it doesn't happen in any other state. Um, over the last five years, they found that we gained 162,000 more college graduates wow. than, uh, than losing, uh, you know, other states just lose. So highly educated are like in California, and they're, they're moving here. Mm -hmm. Now we, we are losing some other folks who are not as highly educated because probably housing costs are so yes. high, but college graduates are seeing opportunities in the Silicon Valley and, yes. and, and other ec economic engines in the state, and then they're being attracted to that. Very much so, and yeah. and that's that's reflective of this widening wealth gap that we're seeing as right. it's part of. Right. Um, so um, so who's leaving California then? Why are they leaving? So what we found, we looked at uh, the IRS's migration data, which was I, I found fascinating. They um, w were able to break it down that that the people who reported leaving tended to be under 35 and make mm -hmm. less than $50,000 a year. Um, so, you know, these are um, your working class, uh, middle, middle income type fee right. people who um, are just A little bit squeezed. above the poverty line. And you were, there's a, uh, the poverty line is defined in, in California with this PPIC as a, a more sophisticated poverty index. And they talk about for a family of four, poverty is $32,000. So $50,000 is a little more, not a lot more. And you think about the housing costs, the rent costs in, along the coast, pretty substantial. And so $50,000, while it might get you a, a long way in, you know, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, it's not going to get you so far in San Francisco. Yes, exactly. Uh, and so people then, they feel like they have to move because the, 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 yeah. the rents are so high. So but what about... Uh, Millionaires. A lot of people say, oh, millionaires are fleeing California because the taxes are too high. Uh, you often hear this from pundits. Is that true? So this was interesting. Um, there was a, uh, this, uh, Charles Varner, uh, a director at the Stanford Center on Poverty and Inequality, literally took that a, a, as on as a, as he a question. Focused on he that focused issue. on this. Because there were two tax increases, one in uh, 2004, another mm -hmm. in 2012. And what did he find? And he found that, um, he found that while, yes, in t after the 2012 um, Prop 30 tax increase on, um, on high-income earners and the sales tax, when that passed, there was a really slight uh, effect on millionaires. They found, he found a 0.04% <laughs> impact. So, yeah, I think the number and in your report <laughs> is 138 millionaires left out of 312,000. Yes. So they're not, it's, it, it is interesting to higher taxes, you had a few of them, but at you know at 0.04 percent, that's that's not a big number. It's and kind so of surprising. His, yeah, yeah. And so very much his conclusion was like, look, the opportunity to make money here in California still outweighs the tax burden. And obviously, at some point, you you will you go, you right. go too far. Right, right. But um, 
I don't, I can't tell if this study suggests that we're right at that point or if we've gone over or not. But California but is highly dependent on, on these, these high, wa high wage earners um, or high earners, uh, high income people. And boy, that could really upset the apple cart. If the stock market crashes or something, that's really going to have an effect on, on the California budget. Yes. Uh, so can you put all this information on population shifts in context? Yeah, I would say that overall, we are not the growth machine that we once were and so we've been so accustomed to throughout the this you know for for decades right. um, we are still growing thanks in part to you know uh, natural birth rates and immigrants um, but we we just have to be we just have to reorient ourselves to knowing that you know we're we're not going to grow as, as big quick, as, as quickly yeah. we're going to grow but not not as quickly yeah. okay up next we're going to find out even more about who makes up California with the 2020 census the results will undoubtedly have a significant impact on public policy that conversation in a moment this is the Maddie report. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. We're talking with Judy Lynn, a reporter for Cal Matters, uh, about who makes up California. You know, as mandated by Article One, Section Two of the U.S. Constitution, every ten years we conduct a nationwide count of every person living in the United States. 2020 is that year. So, uh, the national census. Why does it matter for California and for Californians? Oh, it's very much about um, power and a voice in Congress. Mm -hmm. We have right now 53 of the 435 seats in, in the House. That's a big delegation. It, it's a large delegation. We would like to, uh, you know, ideally hold on, if not gain, but um, all the, the count of will very much dictate whether we right. perhaps lose a seat. That's one of, one of the concerns about undocumented people not wanting to to show up um, for the census, because remember that the Constitution talks about every person, whether yes. or not they're a citizen. Yes. Um, and so there's a concern that some of these undocumented for fear of deportation may not want to respond to the census. Yes. And that then is going to affect California's um, number of House members that we have. Yeah. And they're talking, like, we could lose it a couple um, yes. if, if everybody isn't counted. Yes. It also talks about the distribution of federal funding. That's also tied to population, right? Very much so. When you are trying to figure out um, where to spend money on infrastructure and or even school funding, um, you know, things of that nature, all the way down to the local level that impact you, mm -hmm. you need to have a, a accurate headcount of who's around so that you can provide the portion, the the money appropriately. Um, you know, right now there's there's been debate about whether or not we get get all a good the money. return on our investment. Yeah. Right? Oh, we we pay more in than we get out. Is that true? Mm -hmm. Actually, the latest um, findings say we're about a dollar for dollar. It was like ninety nine cents for Pretty, every a penny. So yeah. so we're getting a penny less back than what we pay in. Yeah. But I think you said in your report that that's true but the national average is states get back one dollar and twenty two cents so if you look at it from a comparison to other states yes we are being shorted yep. but in terms of the money that we're actually sending to washington we're basically getting that amount back right we still don't want to be a donor state but in a way we are right um so what's happening with the state's birth rate it's fallen to the lowest level in state history um it's very much reflective of different uh, life choices and and it's good it's it's good in some ways i mean it means that w um, there are more people who are educated holding off births later in life at the same Fewer time teen pregnancies mm -hmm. i mean all, all good stuff but then what are the public policy implications if 
the birth rate is lower. Mm -hmm. We just talked about federal funding being attached to population. That's got to be an issue. Yeah. If you look at, for example, um, public schools, mm -hmm. uh, if you are a, a school district and you have declining births, that means fewer students in your classrooms. You're going to have to adjust your um, ratios and teachers and where you right. um, where you spend your dollars. And you gave an example, which I thought was really interesting, on L.A. County. Um, they're projected to be down almost 20,000 uh, births in the next two decades. And you did the math on that. Yeah. Uh, and the math was it's $17,423 per pupil. You multiply that out, that's $342 million they're going to be short. L.A. Mm -hmm. County schools are going to be short if the population doesn't increase. Right. And right. they got to pick up that money someplace else. Yeah. Hello, taxpayer. No. <laughs> I mean, it's got to, right? It, yeah. They're going to have to find that money someplace else. This is part, it, it's one of many reasons that you will, you have heard about school district uh, um, strikes and strife with labor unions and the teachers unions. And, mm -hmm. and that's because of, this is part of, you know, it's a host of problems, but this is one of the reasons when school districts and their the financial people are looking at the numbers of how yeah. much is coming in, it's not what simply, it used to be. Yeah, simply budget pressures and, and uh, yeah, things have changed. Mm -hmm. So there's also been a lot of talk, you hear about the silver tsunami that's happening in California. All the, the population is aging, right? Now, these baby boomers, I'm in that group, are aging. Uh, many of them are staying, you know, in California. But what's what's happening with, with the, the aging population in California? What's it look like? Yeah. So um, from the state projections, they're saying by 2030, more than 9 million Californians will be over 65. That's 3 million more than there are today. That's about a quarter of the population. That's a large, it is, yeah. a large proportion. Yeah. So they're going to have to change things. I mean, from a public policy standpoint, that means things are going to have to change. How, from a public policy perspective, what kinds of things, issues are going to be coming up? Yeah, I mean, that uh, that talks, it's about how to care for seniors in retirement in terms of nursing homes, um, senior, facilities. senior facilities, mm -hmm. um, or in-home um, assistance. Um, and basically, as a state, we have not done a good job planning for it. Uh, Governor Newsom has called for a master plan on aging. Mm -hmm. um, Which makes sense, kind of strategic plan to kind of how are we going to deal with this This upcoming tsunami. Yeah. Um, and the other thing too is you talk about like transportation issues. You know, a lot of people, you know, my parents and they're alive as they get older, difficult to drive. Mm -hmm. That, you know, if California is all about the car culture, how do senior people then get the food or the medicine they need? Now, now it's changed because there's delivery services, but that becomes an issue, right, yes. from a public policy standpoint. How you design communities. Yes, It gets exactly. to the granular level. Exactly. And it's a, it's a big question for state policymakers. Okay. Well, up next, we're going to talk about another issue that's pretty big for policymakers, and that is immigration, both documented and undocumented. What impact is it having on California? That conversation in a moment. This is the Maddie Report. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. Immigration, both legal and illegal, has changed the face of California. What are the implications for California's future? We're talking with Judy Lynn, a reporter for Cal Matters, who recently took an in-depth look at California migration. So, um, legal immigration, how does it compare with illegal immigration? Yeah, well, um, as a whole, most immigrants in California are legal. Either they're citizens or they are have visas um, or green card status. You know, I was very interested looking at your statistics. I think it surprised a lot of people. So when you look at the numbers, 52% of immigrants are actually naturalized U.S. citizens, so over half. Another 34%, a third, have legal status, so things like green cards and visas. And then when you look at immigrants that are undocumented, that's only 14% yeah. of, of, of immigrants. So the vast majority of immigrants in California um, 
over 80%, yeah. 85% are, are legally here. Yeah. Um, so that's an important thing to, to remember, I think, when people are looking at, at this issue. So um, where are these immigrants coming from? Yeah, the largely uh, Latin America and, and Asia. Mm -hmm. um, the leading countries of origin, it's Mexico with about 4 million. Uh, China with about one million. So That's four times as much. So, so Mexico really does lead yeah. the pack here. Mm -hmm. um, okay, yeah. so China with, with about a million. Mm -hmm. And what's another big one? The Philippines with about uh, 850,000. So very close mm -hmm. as well. Viet Vietnam with another half a million. Half a million. Um, India with another half a million. Yeah, so, so quite large. It was also interesting to read in your report that among recent immigrants, Asia has surpassed Latin America. So the immigrants are not coming on the the majority are not coming from the Mexican border, they're coming from Asia, mm -hmm. um, which is kind of interesting. So how do Californians generally feel about immigrants? Yeah, we are a blue state and uh, mm -hmm. the, there is general support. That doesn't mean unhappy, that means politically we're more democratic. Exactly, right. I, I, should, <laughs> I should clarify that, yes. A politically blue state, mm -hmm. um, and so that, that means that um, a majority of Californians view immigrants as a Good, positive, mm -hmm. as in they view them as hard workers and have a contribution to the economy. Um, and uh, that if you break it down a little bit more, there is less support among Republicans, um, but uh, but it's still a majority. Still a majority, yeah. And I think, I think you were citing in your report, the PPIC, again, the Public Policy Institute of California, they do polling on a regular mm -hmm. basis. They found that 75% of Californians believe that immigrants have, are a benefit to the state only 23% see immigrants as a burden. Yeah. So it does kind of speak to the fact that, and, and frankly, most of us know immigrants, right, in our mm -hmm. daily lives, and so you see- You're the, talking to one. You do, there you go, uh, <laughs> contributions to society, yeah. my, my in-laws. Mm -hmm. um, same thing, I'm sure many people have that story. Yes. And so they see the positive, the contributions that they're bringing uh, to the state. Mm -hmm. So what are the public policy implications of allowing undocumented immigrants to stay in California? That is a, one of those debates that um, is always politically intense. Right. Um, I think a lot of people should know that because of the number of people who are here legally, um, they do qualify for benefits uh, if uh, health care um, mm -hmm. and, and, and... But that's always, health care is always an interesting issue because the reality is, even if you're undocumented, if, if you have a health issue and you show up in an emergency room, they have to treat you. And so I think one of the, the questions would seem to be, how is the best way to deal with this problem? If you're going to have to treat them anyway, would it make more sense? Is it more cost effective to make sure they have health insurance so they buy blood pressure medication mm -hmm. so they don't have a heart attack? Blood pressure medication, very inexpensive. Mm -hmm. Heart attack, very expensive. And so since you're going to end up treating these people anyway, how are you going to deal with that problem efficiently and effectively? It would seem to be kind of an important issue. That's actually, that's exactly why there have been proposals in the legislature to go ahead and expand Medi-Cal to all uh, people regardless of age or immigration status. Well, the other thing to think about too, if, if, if an undocumented person gets sick, mm -hmm. the bug doesn't say, oh, I'm not going to, to, to someone who's documented. That bug or virus is gonna go to, to other people and so you want a healthy population. Yeah. You want everyone to be healthy. Right. Yeah. And, and I think financially, it, the, the argument is that it's financially smart. Right. By having uh, insurance coverage for that person, the doctor and the hospital all get paid. Right, that's the other thing, that's because charity care, I mean, the reality is that if someone goes to the emergency room, they don't have insurance, the hospital pays the cost, guess who pays the hospital? Yeah. The consumer, the people who do have the insurance. And so, it's somewhere no, that bill is going to get paid. Yeah. Right? I mean, so I think you have to figure out in society how is the best way to kind of spread that cost. Well, let me ask you this, uh, last question. Um, 
what's California going to look like in the future? Very diverse. Um, what we noticed is, you know, not only do we are we already a majority minority state, as in, you know, mostly Latino, mm -hmm. um, Black Asians, but um, we uh, noticed that multiracial Californians are are growing at so the highest rate. So Hispanics are marrying, you know, uh, Asians and whites are marrying blacks. Mm -hmm. it, it's 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 a it's a, it's a true it's a melting pot. A, a tr literally yeah. a melting pot. <laughs> and that's in California on the cutting edge on that issue, like it is on many others. I want to thank Judy Lynn, a reporter for CalMatters, for joining us. Up next, the 2020 census will have major implications for California. Our guest is Sarah Bowen who is the Director of Research at the Nonpartisan Public Policy Institute of California, and she's here to help explain everything about the 2020 Census. Welcome back to the Maddie Report. Thank you. So could you give our audience kind of a primer on the 2020 Census, the who, what, when, where, you don't need to say why, we know why, <laughs> we're counting, uh, and how of the Census? Sure, so every 10 years, as mandated by the Constitution, the U.S. government undertakes a systematic count of everyone residing in the U.S regardless of their citizenship. And the Census Bureau asks... So that's an important point. It's population, not citizenship. That's right. Okay. It's all residents. Okay. Um, and, and the Census asks us to respond uh, with just a few key pieces of information about uh, age, um, race, ethnicity, home ownership, and household members, um, and maybe this time around about citizenship. Yeah. Um, this happens April. The, the Census Day is April 1st, 2020. But April 1st, okay, that's... Yeah, <laughs> April Fool's that Day. could be and problematic, yeah. <laughs> but you could expect to start seeing mailings from the Census Bureau as early as March 2020. Okay, um, and and this is for it's. There are a lot of implications of the census. One of them is political. Um, so, what are the political implications for the twenty twenty census? Well, this is really the the key purpose of the census, um, as written into the Constitution. The census count allocates seats in uh, the U.S. House of Representatives across states. There's a fixed number of seats, and they allocate it based on population. So, in That's other right. words, if some other states are growing faster than California, let's say Texas they're going to get more congressional seats, we'll lose seats. Yeah. That's the way it works. And that's what we expect to see. Okay. We we expect, based on population trends, if the census is accurate, that California will maintain probably its 53 seats. We could stand to possibly lose a seat. And uh, faster-growing states like Texas, uh, Oregon, uh, Arizona, I think, uh, Colorado are on the list, yeah. um, who are likely to gain a seat in Congress. And one of the problems is there's also folks that are uh, hard to count, um, whether they're renters or homeless or whatever. And the more you have of those, the more likely you're undercount, and that could Im have an impact on things like representation. Exactly. Um, but there's another thing that has uh, implications for, and that is the, the distribution of federal dollars. Um, some of the dollars, not all of the federal dollars, obviously, but some of the dollars are tied to population. How much does that mean in real dollars for California? So in recent years, uh, we've received over $100 billion um, in wow. federal funds to California that are tied in some way to our population count. So the census really has become an indispensable part of um, the federal government allocating those resources in the way that's intended by policy. So sometimes it's on a per capita basis, sometimes it's trying to target certain populations like say young children in poverty mm -hmm. and census statistics and other census bureau statistics feed into that um, and really help kind of allocate funds in a way that we think is fair and is in line with intentions of but policymakers. But not, not every federal program is based on this. For example, Medicaid, my understanding is there's like a set minimum 
that California is going to qualify for regardless. Correct? That's right. Which is good because that's a big budget right, so number huge. for the state. Um, so we're kind of at the minimum level and undercount will probably not will not affect our Medicaid dollars, federal dollars that come to California. But other programs like transportation dollars, um, children's health insurance program right. are a couple examples um, where uh, a differential or, a you know, an an inaccurate census could affect the dollars going into communities across the state. Right, okay. So uh, in addition to congressional representation and allocating federal dollars, what else is the census used for? Well, it gives us really a detailed portrait of our population, and it's a rare once every 10 years opportunity to do that. So in a sense, the census will follow us for 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, it's the most detailed picture of residents of our state. We also build uh, well, the Census Bureau builds surveys, annual surveys, on kind of the frame of the cense, decennial census count. So when you see monthly unemployment numbers or other annual statistics about our population, our labor market, our economy, a lot of that is kind of built on the foundation of the census. And that's why it's so critical to get it right in 2020. But you know, there's also local governments use this as well, right? And, and K-12 and businesses. I mean, this is more than just how many people and that the government needs for reallocation of representation or money. It's, a lot of people use this number. Yeah, businesses, um, hospitals, researchers. schools, researchers use it to you know understand the impacts of policy, um, but also to target kind of services, to target business locations and things like that. It's, it's really indispensable for just understanding uh, California. Who we are. Okay, yeah. up next, some of the fastest growing groups in California are also the hardest to count. Um, so what is California doing to deal with that hard-to-count population? That conversation next. This is the Maddie Report. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. We're talking about the 2020 Census with Sarah Bone, the Director of Research and Senior Fellow at the Nonpartisan Public Policy Institute of California. Um, you know, it's been stated that there are some large segments of California's population that are historically hard to count. Who are these individuals and why are they so hard to count? So renters, young men, in particular, children, um, African-American residents and Latinos in California have uh, historically been undercounted in decennial censuses. This is despite the Census Bureau's best efforts to count everybody um, as accurately as possible. Um, in California, about two-thirds, sorry, three-quarters of our population belong to one or more of these demographic groups, which bring, makes it a, quite a challenge. Three-quarters are hard to count. That's right. Wow. And so, the, so you have a situation, renters, where you have roommates who maybe want to say that it's only supposed to be a single, and they got two people living there. Those kind of situations. Yeah. They don't, okay. Uh, you want to say anything about? It? I'm well, sorry. the census is a household survey, so right. it's easiest to count households where it's a homeowner who's been there for a while, right. which tend to be. Um, white, older residents of California. They're the easiest to count. And so younger populations or populations that move more often more transient, are just moving around in yeah. different locations. That's yeah, typically it's harder to count. Um, so uh, what are some of the political and economic factors that could exacerbate the problems um, and, and why? So things like, you know, housing, the housing crisis, for yeah. example. How does that impact the census or the citizenship question, for example? The housing crisis is, is one I'm particularly concerned about because, as we talked about, this is a household survey. Um, and the housing crisis has pushed more families or individuals into non-standard arrangements. So maybe splitting a house or splitting a unit right. in a way that's not even reflected in an address role. And so those um, those households won't be surveyed in the same way. So, yeah, that's particularly a problem like in the high rent districts right of the, the coast um, right. I'm thinking there's also gonna be a situation in the inland part you know if you have a lot of undocumented that that's also going to be an issue and that gets to kind of that citizenship question of whether they're concerned that somehow that's gonna come back and, and, and hurt them in some way 
Yeah. Um, so, so what about the citizenship? Because there's been a lot of talk about the citizenship question. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? That's right. I think the the current political climate, both federal, mostly federally, um, makes reasonably makes immigrants more reluctant to respond to government surveys. And the citizenship question has just kind of highlighted that distrust of government and uncertainty. Um, and so, you know, I think um, a lot of uh, a lot of residents of California, when they receive a form from the government or somebody, a Census Bureau worker knocking on their door, um, might be uh, unsure of whether right. they can safely respond. Even though in in federal law, the census is only to be used for counting the population, population. and no other purpose. Well, let me ask you this: you know, the, your your organization, the PPIC, reports that the, the, these hurdles have intensified about under uh, undercounting and. Uh, noted that the GAO, the, the uh, Governmental Accounting Office, has designated the 2020 census as a quote-unquote high risk for failure. How so? A couple of the factors that have played into that risk of failure have been um, vacancies and leadership at the Census Bureau, some of which now have been filled, but I understand that a few still remain, and just the resources um, and capacity to test new systems. So this census will be the first that we're trying to mostly collect online responses. Um, it's a it's a whole new way, actually, of conducting the census. And, um, it kind some, of makes an assumption that everybody has a computer, everybody has access to the Internet. Yeah, I mean, the Census Bureau will target areas that have more access to the internet and and those who don't will receive a paper form but nonetheless it's it's a big shift in how they collect information which in the long run could be a cost-saving measure um, but poses some challenges this time around you, you also were mentioning that testing it so they're trying a new procedure but they haven't really tested whether it's going to work They've had to, because of budget um, shortfalls, kind of pull back on some of the planned tests. Right. Um, I, they're doing a lot of testing to make sure this works. But the citizenship question, which was added very late in the game, there isn't much time to test that question to see how um, it changes uh, response rates. It, it seems to be like there's an emphasis on efficiency somewhat over effectiveness. In other words, doing this the census as, frankly, as cheaply as possible, and that may cause you a problem in terms of getting a correct count. It's definitely a risk. I think the Bureau switching to technologies that we right. all use every day is a, definitely a reasonable way to go about it. And the Census Bureau staff are, you know, extremely serious about their jobs and do actually an amazing job at counting the millions of people that we have in, in um, the state and the country. Um, but there are some risks, extra risks this time around. Okay, well, thank you very much. Um, uh, up next, we're going to talk about a, talk to a person who's key in helping ensure that California does get an accurate count. That's California Secretary of State Alex Padilla. That conversation in a moment. This is the Maddie Report. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. Our guest is California Secretary of State Alex Padilla, state official who has a key role here in making sure we have an accurate count of the census here in California. Welcome back to the Maddie Report. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Um, so what specific actions is your office taking to ensure that the 2020 census will be a complete count, get the right number of people in the state, and also an accurate count uh, that we capture the characteristics of the people correctly? Right. It's not just my office. I'm, I'm asking every public official to leverage their office to put the word out of why it's important for every Californian to participate in the 2020 census uh, because there's so much at stake. You know, it's a once every 10 year survey required by the U.S. Constitution, right, to conduct a national population count. Mm -hmm. uh, the results of the census, it's data that if mo people know anything about the census, they know that it's what drives federal funding formulas mm -hmm. for the next 10 years. So what's at stake? For starters, billions upon billions of federal funds for health care, for education, for infrastructure, transportation, housing, etc. But in addition to that, 
census data drives the reapportionment process, right? How many representatives mm -hmm. California versus other states uh, get in the U.S. House of Representatives? So literally, our voice in Congress is at stake, which is why we're going to work so hard to make sure we get as an accurate account as possible. You know, you've written that, quote, the Trump administration is working deliberately to undermine the accuracy of the count. California can't afford to sit idly by while the administration sabotages the census. Why do you feel that way? Look, it's uh, no secret Trump has uh, California in the crosshairs. Whatever he can do to damage California, he'll do that, whether it's you know, jeopardizing federal funds uh, or anything else. But in this particular case, how about locking in a federal funding formula for the next decade that hurts California? Uh, so what are the tactics that the administration has used to try to risk a, a, an accurate count? Uh, most recently, we've heard of this addition of a citizenship question, right? We now, now, why is that a problem? I mean. Under the, under the Constitution, we're supposed to count population, correct. not citizens, correct? Correct. Okay, so why is citizenship, why is that question, why is that troublesome to you? Because we, it's not just uh, uh, that we're skeptical. We've seen the effect of a question about citizenship in the past. It discourages or intimidates diverse communities from participating in the census. That's the reason that it hasn't appeared on the decennial census for more than 70 years under both Republican and Democratic administrations. And the, the Census Bureau themselves have kind of said that the citizenship question could be problematic. And they're scientists, they're advisors, everybody gets it. They've advised against it. This administration doesn't care. They've put it on in addition to, you know, for several years, the Census Bureau was underfunded and understaffed. So a lot of the preparation going into uh, the decennial census year, uh, they're, they're trying to play catch up now. I'm not sure they're going to get there. Uh, and another bit that most people aren't talking about is this will be the first digital first census. Explain that. So, you know, most of us who have been around a, a while <laughs> remember getting a form in the mailbox. I don't know why you looked at me when you said that. But <laughs> uh, I said us. I said us. You, you did. Know, to, to, you know, how many people live in the household and then right. all the information about them that's uh, requested in the census. Mm -hmm. This time it's going to be different. You will get a letter with instructions of how to go online and submit that information. Well, I see a lot of problems with that. I, mean, uh, I see a lot of problems with that, too. There is still a digital divide in America. There's still a digital divide in California, both from an access standpoint and a literacy standpoint. So we have to overcome right. that in pursuit and of an accurate those, count. those very populations that are hard to count are the very people most likely not to have computers or access to computers or computer literacy. Exactly, and all the data is there. So right. uh, knowing that we can't count on the federal government as a, as a key partner in this year's census, California is stepping up. Uh, Governor Brown on his way out and Governor Newsom uh, uh, in his first year are investing state uh, dollars to do the budget for early planning and outreach plans going into 2020. Yeah. Um, the, the census that, that uh, citizenship question, is that information going to be shared with, if they get that question on uh, on the census, would that be shared with other, other government agencies like like ICE, Immigrations and Customs Enforcement? Uh, it's not supposed to, uh, right? But every 10 years, uh, that that outreach to hard-to-count communities is important because there's already a lack of trust to be overcome in getting people to participate in the census. Right. Clearly, we're in a unique time right now, not just in the national political environment, but the specific tone and tenor coming out of the Oval Office right now. So all that much more work to do to try to rebuild confidence with, with people to make sure they participate in the census and that their information uh, will not be used for other purposes. The other thing, too, I just want to ask really quickly about uh, the digital divide and using this technology. It seems like they're focusing on being efficient in counting, but not necessarily effective because they haven't really tested whether this stuff works, have they? No. Uh, again, in the years leading up to the decennial census, the Bureau has been understaffed. Uh, and they haven't made the, the, the plans nor tested the questions in the various formats. It's 
typical of what you would do in a survey like right. this. Right, make sure uh, it works. So yeah, I'm, so, I wanna, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for interrupting you. Um, I want to ask one last question sure. if I can fit one in here. About 45 seconds. Uh, the LAO, Legislative Analyst Office, uh, recently reported that with better funding, better technology, and better statistical analysis, it's unlikely that California is going to have the, an undercount along the lines of the one we had in 1990. Do you agree with that assessment? Well, in an ideal world, maybe, but we're not getting that uh, sufficient funding out of the federal government. California is trying to fill a hole uh, along with counties and cities up and down the state. Uh, and the ideal technology assumes everybody has access to it, uh, but that's not the case. So uh, we know what we're up against. We're prepared to uh, step up to the challenge. Yeah, billions of dollars at stake. Thank you very much for being with us, Secretary Padilla. Thank up you. next, the politics of the 2020 Census with LA Times Sacramento Bureau Chief John Myers. That conversation in a moment. This is the Maddie Report. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. So how will the 2020 Census shape California's politics in the coming decade? Our guest is John Myers, LA Times Sacramento Bureau Chief. He's the right person to ask. Um, <laughs> I so, hope so. <laughs> welcome back Thanks. to the Maddie Report. So a major political controversy surrounds, uh, surrounding the 2020 census is whether a question about citizenship should be included. Some have noted that the citizenship question has been asked in the past. Of course, the last time it was asked for everyone was 1950. Um, but why is it so controversial now? Well, in 1950, we were a very different California, uh, fewer people and, and diversity. Um, not the same as it is today. It's, it's important for a couple of reasons. First of all, I think it's important symbolically, and I think some of the critics of asking the question see the symbolism of a change in the conversation nationally about immigration, about diversity. Um, but it does have real-world implications. Uh, funding formulas are tied to the census, so the size of your population, but how much money you get from the federal government, clearly representation in Congress, House of Representatives, and whether or not California keeps all of its seats or loses one of its seats as other states grow a little bit bigger. The implications are big. I think we have only heard the beginning of this fight. I think we're going to hear a lot more. Yeah, it's, there, is a, there are a lot of people that are undocumented like within families. And so people, I guess, are concerned that somehow that they're going to be outed, um, the undocumented, if, if they, I guess, get involved with the census, if they're involved in answering or, questions. Or, or just simply that someone doesn't want to uh, talk to someone when they come to the door. And Mark, we should also point out that this census is going to be conducted online uh, digitally more than mm -hmm. any census before. So if someone gets the email or the connection for that census and says, I'm scared because I don't want the intrusion, then that's another opportunity lost. There are big implications all the way around. Now, let me ask you this. Um, just how concerned are state leaders that the 2020 census is going to result in an undercount? I think they're very concerned. You have seen funding for um, for an effort at the state government level to ensure that there's a fair count. I think there's like a hundred million dollars that they've put aside for. Uh, yes, and created a, a quasi-state agency or a group mm -hmm. and uh, inside state government to deal with it. I think you're going to hear more about outreach, about education to people, about what the census really means, especially if the, the, um, the citizenship question move forward. And I would not be surprised to see monitors, checkers, people trying to hold the system accountable in the state of California. I think the stakes are high. I think Democrats who lead the state, Governor Newsom and beyond, are going to keep an eye on it. And I'm wondering about this. What impact, if any, do you think the Trump administration's insistence on the citizenship question is going to have on the California Republican Party generally and the 2020 election in particular? Is there going to be any blowback? Uh, yeah, it's an interesting question. I have not heard a single thing from the California Republican Party about it. Uh, the Republican Party in the state already trying to figure out how it navigates the tricky waters of Donald Trump-ism, uh, isms. And um, uh, I think that this is an interesting moment, right? Because the conventional wisdom could be you could line up behind the president and say citizenship matters, uh, or you could chart a different path and say, 
citizenship matters, but this isn't the right way to go about it. It could be an opportunity for the Republican Party in California, but so far uh, we haven't heard a lot. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, forty percent of the California population is Latino. I, I, it would seem to be that this is going to have an impact one way or another um, on the outcome. Let me ask you this: I'm just trying to get my head around whether this makes sense politically. Um, you know, so you add the citizenship question, it's going to result in an undercount, but you know, it's not just going to affect California. You've also got red states like Texas, you've got purple states like Florida, of course you've got a large blue state like California, but isn't it going to impact all of these states if you have that citizenship I, question? I certainly, on I certainly think it could, and, and I, I think you would need uh, some kind of a researcher to give you the proper answer, but I go back to the fact that uh, no one that you're hearing that has concerns about this question is advocating that we, uh, for counting people who are in the U.S. illegally more, or that there's something, they're simply talking about the fear, the perception, the uh, lack of access to communities, the fact that um, the message can get muddled somewhere and no one wants to participate. That would seem to be a problem anywhere in the United States. But in California, with the dynamic that we've had, with the fear and the anger about it, um, I think it is probably um, uh, larger than it might be in those states. But you're mm -hmm. right, it does raise a question about the whole country. You know, I want to ask you something. William Frey, who's a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution, has written that, quote, in the past, filling out the census was thought of as a national civic engagement exercise, which allows people to claim that they are residents of America. Politicization would not only lead to a flawed census count, but would uh, further inflame divisions that have come to come to four in the past two years. What does that say about the census? Uh, that you know, one thinks that we can't have an objective, nonpartisan process mm -hmm. of counting residents. Now it's become politicized. I think it says, you know, quite honestly, what a lot of people who are watching the show know that everything has become politicized, it seems like, in this mm -hmm. environment that we're sitting in right now. The census was a place we didn't think about it. Um, some of the services, the way we build roads and bridges and where we uh, do these things, they were not political animals in a different generation. You think about that, all these they topics have that have become politicized, and the mm -hmm. census, I think, is kind of a, a great example Yeah, of right, that. because we all were taught that this is just like a head count. Yeah. And now it's no longer a head count, it's more complicated. It seems like nothing could be more objective. Mm -hmm. And so it's a bit, probably the greatest example of how hyper-partisan things have become. And I think that no matter who wins this ultimate fight about that question, we're going to see a politicization and anger, and it's not going to go away. And that's the hard part of this. Oh boy. Well, with that, I want to thank our guest, John Myers of the LA Times. Things will get better. Yes. Um, also, California Secretary of State Alex Padilla and Sarah Bowen with the Public Policy Institute of California. If you want to stay up on current uh, politics and policy, you can log on to our website at maddieinstitute.com. This is Mark Kepler for The Matter Report. Thanks for joining us. The views and opinions expressed in the Matter Report are those of the individuals participating in the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the California Channel or the Maddie Institute. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the points and opinions expressed in the Matter Report, visit our website at maddieinstitute.org. The Matty Report, Valley Views Edition, is a public affairs partnership between KMJ Radio, Cumulus Media, and the nonpartisan Matty Institute, providing the Valley with valuable insight and analysis on politics and important public policy issues. This is KMJ.